with me and take your Bibles and turn them open to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Beloved, we are going to pick up where we left off last week at verse 3 and continue our exposition of Paul being a gifted minister and performing a faithful ministry. And before I read from God's holy word, let's ask his blessing upon us. Let's pray together. Now, blessed God, in the name of Christ, we come and we bow ourselves before you. Lord, we ask for enlightenment. We ask for understanding, Lord. Give us understanding and enlightenment, Lord, related to your word, related to its doctrines, its propositions, O Lord. And give us wisdom, Lord, in the application of what we learn. Help us, O Lord, to feast and feed upon this rich green pasture this morning, for we are your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. So, Father, come and nourish us. Come feed us, Lord, the heavenly manna. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And beloved, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, those first five verses, hear now the word of the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, my speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, in picking up where we left off last week, I just want to remind you the, uh, the place that Paul had established a church uh, in that great uh, Greek city of Corinth. It was very important in that whole region. It was steeped in wealth religion. It was full of many temples and it was an educational hub for the modern day philosophers of that time period. And it was just a city that was full of hustle and bustle. And yet God had sheep there. God had those that he wanted to bring into his kingdom that before the foundation of the world, God had elected those who lived in that city and he sent Paul there to preach the gospel in order that they may hear the gospel not just with their physical ears but in their hearts and be called to Christ and to put their faith and trust in Christ and through that preaching ministry that ministry of proclamation God used Paul to establish a church in this very pagan city, in this very dark and sexually and moral and just a, 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 a city that was truly uh, deep and wide in debauchery. And yet God has a church in the midst of all of these temples and in the midst of all of these uh, immoral things. Now, Paul tells us in these verses something about himself and about his ministry to them. And for us, it's a perfect opportunity for us to look at Paul's words, to understand them so that we might know, first of all, what a faithful minister should look like, what we would expect out of a minister of the gospel and how we are to examine our own ministry even in our own day. Now, beloved, the reason it's always good to 
use the scriptures as our plumb bob, not just morally, but even ministerially, is so that we don't fall into these pitfalls of thinking that somehow we are wiser than God, that we know more than God does, that we, we know what the true needs of uh, this community is, and therefore we're going to fashion and put together a, something of a ministry that would be, well, for the people. And we need to, we need to think about how we talk about ministry, how we talk about evangelism. And I think this is a perfect text to start that conversation. And Paul begins to tell us in verse 3, 4, and 5 how he, well, carried himself in their midst. And they were a very proud, arrogant people, if you will, prideful, educated, steeped in the modern philosophies of the day, proud that they probably housed many of the, well, top philosophers of the time in that city. In fact, um, there was some connection to Caesar through Seneca there in Corinth. So they, there was some famous connections to be made. And they were very proud about that. And I think this is, makes Paul's testimony more important for us to understand as we look at it, as we consider our ministry, as we consider the things we ought to be wedded to and committed to, loyal to, if you will, so that we don't get sidetracked, so that we don't become discouraged and overcome and then begin to apply human wisdom, replacing God's wisdom. Paul tells us in verse 3, he, he moves and he says, listen, I was with you in weakness. He's describing the way he carried himself. Notice these descriptions, in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. Paul is describing a very humble ministry, isn't he? Paul is identifying his ministry as compared to the mighty super apostles, as we will see as we continue to exposit this letter, First and Second Corinthians. But Paul is describing his ministry as one in weakness. Now, Paul, it's not that Paul thought that God's way was inferior. That's not what he's saying. God's way is not inferior, not even close to being inferior. It's blasphemous to think that God is inferior to man. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that. Paul is saying, listen, compared to the super apostles, I carried myself in your midst in weakness. There was nothing about me that inspired human strength. There was, no, there was nothing about my person and about my labors in your midst that inspired you to consider the, the, the strength of, of the humankind, if you will. In fear. In fear, how so? Well, fear is certainly connected to faith, but at the same time, I think Paul is saying is, listen, I carried myself as a man under obligation, as a man under responsibility. I was sent to you by God Almighty, and I carried myself as a man in fear of carrying out my responsibilities in your midst as one faithful to that commission. I wanted to do the right thing, and I wanted to do it the way my father wanted me to do it, the way my God had called me to do it. I labored in your midst, not only not in the, the, the presence of human power, but I carried myself in your midst as someone under the obligation to perform the gospel ministry in a certain manner in a manner that was becoming of a disciple or an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's what he means. He didn't carry himself with the audacity that the super apostles carried themselves. 
sort of listen to me because of my credentials, listen to me because of the school I, I went to or graduated from, listen to me because of the philosophers that I've set up under, listen to me because I am your superior. That's not the way Paul carried himself. Paul carried himself as one under obligation himself. And he carried himself with a very, in a very careful manner to do the ministry according to the way God had called him to do it. I guess illustrate it a little bit, maybe make it a little clearer. It's like a parent sending the child, the young man, young woman, on a task and a mission to do something for the family. And, uh, I mean, there's the sentiment that I want to do this well. I want to do this the way I was told to do it. I want to be pleasing to my parent. I want to be able to come back with the, well, things that I was asked to go either retrieve or do and bring a good report to mom and dad. I want to be able, I'm cautious, I'm careful. I, I, I act as if in fear that I want to perform my responsibility in a way that pleases the one who sent me. I think you can get that. That's simply what Paul is saying in fear and much trembling. I'm sure there were many challenges to the apostle while he was there. Paul ministered in Corinth for a year and a half. That's a long time. And you can imagine uh, the challenges that he would face going into I mean, Christianity by and large had not, well, been revealed in that place yet. Paul is going and he's preaching in the synagogue and he's preaching out in homes and places that are, he's invited to. And, and so you can imagine what it's like. I mean, think about all the questions you have for the pastor. Think about those that have never even known Christianity that have been steeped in all of this paganism and, and cultural garbage. And think about all the questions they had for Paul. And how he had answered those questions. And, and in many ways, because of the Spirit's ministry and power, satisfied their curiosities and intellectual you know, itching, if you will, so that they would, by the Spirit's power, be birthed into the kingdom of God. Because no man births himself into the kingdom. It's God who brings men and women into the kingdom. It's God that gives insight. It's God that gives new hearts. It's God that gives the new birth. It's God that opens eyes for people to see and ears for people to hear. Paul's nemesis or nemeses were arrogant. They were proud. They were full of themselves for sure. And here Paul says, I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear. I came to you in much trembling. What is, what is, I, I came to you, listen to these words now. I came to you trusting that what God said to me, who sent me here, Trusting that God was going to bring those that he had elected to as the faith. I came trusting God for the fruit of the ministry. I came trusting God that people would come to Christ because God sent me here. Now Paul in verse 4 addresses his message. He says, the message in my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. What Paul is saying is Paul is not saying that the scripture or the, or the explanation of scripture or the scripture is not wise. It's not what he's saying. He says, I didn't use their clever tactics, their rhetoric. I didn't use their manipulating phrases. I didn't use their emotional charged language. I, didn't, I, didn't, I steered away from all of that. That my message and my preaching demonstrated itself 
with the power of the Holy Spirit, that is, as I used simple explanation, as I used and opened up the mysteries of the, of the gospel, the Spirit enlivened your heart. He made you alive. He gave you eyes to see. He opened your ears, and he caused you to believe these simple words, which was astounding to the philosophers. Why would you gravitate to such rude rhetoric? Not very intellectual. Paul says, and that was the demonstration of the Spirit's power. I preached to you in simple propositional terms and explanations. I opened up for you the Old Testament scriptures and you believed them. You believed that God had sent his son into the world and you believed that his son was fully man and fully God. You believed it. How did you believe such doctrine? Doctrine that others had mocked and ridiculed and scoffed at. Why did you believe it? Because the Spirit had moved upon your mind and upon your heart and opened your eyes to say yes and amen. This is the gospel truth. You believed it because you could do no other. You couldn't turn away from it. You couldn't turn your back upon it. And it, the Spirit had demonstrated itself in the power that you couldn't turn away from the preaching of Paul, but you had to submit yourself to it. You had to fall to your knees and beg God for forgiveness of your sins. You remember doing that? You remember doing that? I don't know if you've been around people that mock the gospel. Maybe you have. I remember, and they weren't in my circles, but I remember being around people that have come to faith, and they were part of those circles. And I remember those relationships speaking about that person coming to faith and, and, and making comments such as, oh, don't worry, this will never last. Oh, don't worry, this is just a fad. Oh, don't worry, we've seen this before. This is nothing more than just a, a new fad, new thing. It'll pass away. Nothing, nothing of substance here. And that's how people think about religion. That's how people think, well, that's how people think about Christianity. See, they don't want it, and that's fine. They're okay with that version of Christianity, right? That they're okay with that mythical understanding of Christianity. They're okay with that lie. But they're not okay with the power that Paul is talking about here. They're not okay with that power that transforms lives. See, they're, they're not okay being the object of ridicule. But when you, when, when, look, when the Spirit comes into your life, beloved, and he opens your eyes and he's, he unplugs your ears and he, he takes your heart and he softens it under his mighty power, you hear him call your name. You hear him talking to you. Not in an audible voice like mine this morning. Now you hear him in your heart, your soul, your very being, and you hear him calling you to faith because he's already regenerated you and that faith is the fruit and outworking of that powerful regeneration of the Holy Spirit that God has done in you a work already and then you begin to lament and you begin to, to just, just melt before God because he's given you the eyes to see the depth of your sin and you cry out in faith, woe is me, O Lord. You, you, you're like Isaiah the prophet. I mean, you thought you were so good before regeneration. You know, I'm better than most of these people here. And when the Spirit came to you, you said, oh, how I am a man or a woman of unclean lips. Oh, the depth of my heart before God is wretched. 
have mercy upon me, O Lord. You can say, oh man, I never had an outbreak of, of, of immorality. I mean, I've always been very private. I've always been to myself. I've always kept my mouth shut. I've always kept my head down. I've always just done what I was told to do. Yeah, but your heart was longing for those things. You say, oh, I never did any of those things. Yeah, but your heart longed for it. You wanted to, and God knew it. And so when the Spirit comes to us, beloved, he sees us for who we are. And he just lays it all out, doesn't he? That's what Paul, is, that's what Paul means. Paul said, you know, the preaching of the gospel revealed itself in the power of the manifestation of your sin and the righteousness of God in Christ. And what was the fruit of that revelation? You confessed your sins and put your faith in him. You turned from this world to God and his kingdom. You turned away from the world's wisdom. And you begin living by this divinely revealed wisdom from the word of God. You begin walking in his ways. And of course, over time, Satan does what he does. He comes to challenge your faith. He comes to test you. Do you really love the Lord? Do you really love his word? I don't think you do. I think it's a flash in the pan. I think this is something that is momentary. It's not going to last. And so Satan comes and what is, how does Satan turn us from the word? Well, he comes and he brings all kinds of people into our lives that we might fear more than God. You know, the church has a problem with that. You know, that's one of the reasons the church turned from the doctrine of creation because they wanted to look intellectual. And so they turned to science to give us that explanation. Well, we're not intellectual infants. We are intellectuals. We are people of reason. We are, we are people that can logically understand science and we're scientific for sure. Well, we're not going to trust God about the creation. We're not going to take God at his word about how it all began. Now, we're going to trust science in that arena. Move on to something else. We're scientific. And that's the church begging for the applause of the world. And it has wreaked havoc in the church. It's wreaking havoc in our society right now as we speak. I will maintain and always maintain, I hope, by the grace of God, that if you can't trust what God says about the creation of the world, how can you trust God about the creation of Jesus in the womb? What did we just confess this morning? We confessed that God created Jesus' body in the womb of a virgin. Did we not? And we all said amen. Amen. Well, what's the difference? You see, why, why, wait a minute, why, why would you accept one and not the other? You see, beloved, we have to repent of being men pleasers. And, and Paul is addressing these things, and of course, this is part of it. We don't want to be, we don't want to look infantile to the world. And so we begin to twist and mold scripture in a way that pleases the world. That's sinful. Paul's not doing that and thus the title, right? A gifted minister and a faithful ministry. Paul's not doing that. He doesn't fall into that ranks, to those ranks. He, he says, listen, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and I preached to you the simple gospel not using the rhetoric of this world and no, the spirit demonstrated itself in power. And then verse five, as I 
indicated last week is the purpose statement. He says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Amen. This is exactly where we need to go. And this is what a gifted minister aims at. This is what a faithful ministry produces. What? Trust in God, not man. Don't trust man. Man cannot be trusted and science can't be trusted either. I mean, first of all, I guess let me back up. What are we going to qualify as science? Are we going to talk about the science that says eggs are no good? You know, all of that 80s stuff, don't eat eggs, it's full of cholesterol. Now what are they saying in all of these health articles? Superfood! Superfood! Eat four a day! Well, we were just told not to eat eggs, and so it, it stimulated a whole market of fake eggs coming out of a, a, a carton. Powdered eggs. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. There's a, all different avenues we could take to talk about the foolishness of men. I don't think we need to do all of that. I think we know. But the point we need to emphasize is our trust in God. We have to learn and grow and recommit ourselves to trusting in God every day. If this is what this is. This covenant service, this, this covenant of grace service is that we are recommitting ourselves to trusting God and his word and his teaching in, in what he has shown us and what we know to be true. We are recommitting ourselves every week in a formal ceremony called worship to these things. And we need to do that. We need to exercise that. Beloved, Paul, this is nothing new with Paul. I mean, Paul certainly is not boasting about any of his, his own education, and he was educated. Paul, in other places, talks about, I, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I sat under the greatest rabbi of our time. But what does that matter in the scheme of the gospel? Nothing. Paul says, everything in my past is rubbish. Rubbish compared to Christ. He wasn't calling it trash and of no value. He said, but when it's compared to Jesus, it holds none. We need more ministers like this. I need to be like this. I'm reminded looking at his ministry. And Paul tells not just well, ministers, but the whole church to imitate him, and we'll get there in a few weeks. Let me give you a, some verses that Paul talks about these things. Romans chapter 15 and verse 18, Paul writes even to the church in Rome, he says, For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles. Isn't that something? Paul's like, it's, it, look, what makes my ministry meaningful? Is it my past? No. It's what God is doing with me now. And Paul says in Romans 15, he says, I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for obedience to the Gentiles. You think about how churches have called ministers the credentials. We need to find this as a credential. We need to seek this as a credential. This humility before the Lord, it's not about me. It's about Christ working through me. It's about what Christ has done with me. It's not about anything else. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul in his exposition of love reminds us that love is not boastful. It's not arrogant. But patient and kind and humble. It is not loving when a minister comes into a church or goes to establish a church 
and all they talk about is themselves. All they can talk about is their knowledge, their experience. What's important to the God's people is God. What's important to the people of God is God and his son, blessed Jesus, the sent Messiah into the world. And yet none of this is without consequence for sure. I mean, beloved, when, when ministers set out to do this, certainly Satan is going to attack because this is a ministry when, when, when this is the focus and this is the ministry, the verb, not just the minister, but the ministry, Satan is going to attack it because this is the ministry of power. It's the ministry of conversion. It's the ministry that God uses when, when there is just the simple preaching of the gospel and God is exalted and man is humbled in his pride and arrogance and God exalted, guess what? Satan despises it. He hates it. He wants to topple it. He wants to get rid of it. He wants to compromise it. He wants to water it down. He wants to do everything in his power to nullify it. First Corinthians 15 and verse nine, Paul in his humility says these words. He says, I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle. And then he gives the reason. He said, because I persecuted the church of God. And that's not what, it's not that Paul had not been forgiven for persecuting the church. He most certainly had. Jesus paid for that sin or those sins. What Paul is being, what Paul is saying is he says, listen, things have consequences. Life has consequences. And my persecution of the church will always stand as a mark of my arrogance, of my pride, because I thought I knew who God's people were. I thought I knew what God wanted. So I was going to go out and persecute this, this sect of people called Christians and get rid of them for God's glory. Paul said, I was so steeped in pride. And in, in because of that in, that, in that vein, I certainly am the least of the apostles because none of them did that. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul says, This grace given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Paul calls it a grace. Now, now you have to take that. You have to really understand what Paul has just revealed to us. Paul says, This preaching ministry, this success or, or what I've been able to do here, it is not because of who I am. It was a grace given to me by God. God gets the glory. That's what he's saying. Philippians chapter three was the, past, it was the chapter that I've referenced earlier about Paul being a Hebrew of Hebrews Chapter 3, verse 12, he says, not that I have already reached the goal, I have already uh, become perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, that is his salvation, because I have also been taken hold of by Christ. Paul says, I've not yet arrived. I've, I've got many imperfections. I've not yet obtained everything that God has for me to obtain in this life. I've got many things to learn. I've got many other things to experience. I've got things that God is going to bring into my life that's going to teach me his glory. He's going to teach me my, the depth of my depravity, teach me the depth of my need, the depth of my longing. There are so many things that I have yet to learn. And I'm still on this path of learning them. That's a minister. Ministers are not people that know everything. They're people that have been called. There are people that have 
that exhibit these characteristics, and we'll see some of these. We're going to look at some of these over in the next week or so. But you could talk about this, this attitude of humility, this attitude of reverence, this attitude of recognizing that we are submissive to this greater calling of God, that we are sent to do these things and we are to perform them in fear and trembling and not according to the world's wisdom at all. Our Lord Jesus was one such as that. Our Lord, when he walked on earth, said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of one who sent me. I didn't come to speak my words. I came to speak the words that my father had given me to speak. John 8, verse 50, I do not seek my own glory. Jesus didn't come even seeking his own glory, beloved. And, and that's, I guess, part of, I, I, I want to be careful. I, I definitely don't want to ever, I don't want to slander a servant of the Lord. Not in particular. I mean, I, I'm not have anybody in particular in mind. But when you, you know, when you start talking about all of these ministries and you start talking about these worldwide ministries, you have to ask yourself, what's it about? Is it about the person or is it about the glory of God? And why do you think people point fingers at these TV ministers, these, uh, I don't know if that's even the right, maybe I'll call them charlatans, be better. Charlatan, these, these ones peddling this religious snake oil, you know, asking for money while they live in four or five houses, while they have three or four Lear jets and drive 15 different cars. You can say, oh, I know about them. Yeah, well, those are obvious, aren't they? What about the ones that are not so obvious, that mingle in evangelical circles? You, you see, again, the point of the ministry is that we wouldn't put our faith in men, but in God. The point is to help God's people love God, serve God, glorify God. The point is not to uh, even build a, a Presbyterian kingdom. The point isn't to build a name for yourself. The point is to preach and teach the word of God so that the people of God trust him. Because you're going to need to trust him. Not just for your faith. You're going to need to trust him for your sanctification. You're going to need to trust him when you're being mocked and ridiculed. You're going to need to trust him when your job is questionable. You're going to need to trust him in your difficult relationships. You're going to need to learn to trust him in any numerous situations. You're going to need to trust in the Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 11. They talk about this humility Paul is, even though the word isn't declared in those first five verses of chapter two, but it's certainly a ministry of humility. Paul's focus is not himself. It's not on his own, his own you know, person, as it were, or his own experiences. No, he's there serving in the power of God according to the command of God, all in the name of God, if you will. But our Lord Jesus... I don't think any one of us would necessarily call Jesus weak or not manly. But in chapter 11, look at what Jesus says in verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. What's the Lord saying? The Lord says, listen, come to my teaching. 
leave the teaching of the Pharisees, right? Leave the teaching of these, of, of, of these distorted and perverted traditions of men. Leave the teaching of the Pharisees that have perverted the law of God. Leave this teaching because this teaching places upon you unkeepable burdens of salvation. You, you lays upon you the works of salvation that you cannot possibly ever achieve. And the fruit of that labor will be frustration and agitation and depression because you can't do it. You are going to live in the doldrums of life because you will never, ever succeed in earning your salvation. And Jesus says, come to me, come to my teaching. My teaching is one of grace. Lay those burdens on me. I'll take those burdens. I'm going to pay for that. I'm humble in heart. Humbleness, humility is not weakness, beloved. It's not weakness. We go back to what the Apostle Paul is teaching us, and Jesus wasn't weak. I'm, I'm one on a mission, I'm the Messiah. I've been sent by the Heavenly Father to come and perform this work that will lead to your salvation. I will come and keep the law on your behalf and I will lay down my life as a payment and an atonement for your sin and I will be resurrected on the third day and I will send to you the Spirit and the Spirit will come and apply my righteousness to you. The Spirit will come and give you a new heart. The Spirit will come and give you seeing eyes, hearing ears. The Spirit will come and give you a humility to confess your pride and your arrogance and your dependence upon yourself, this world, other men, other institutions, and drive you to put your faith and trust in God through his son. Amen. And of course, I wanted to, <laughs> John 13 and verse five is the, the distorted, per, it's this distorted verse that this organization that has sought to blaspheme God's name in Christ about washing feet. In John 13, five, Jesus pours water in a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples and dry them with a towel and then tell them, you do likewise. Beloved, I want to say, and I'm not going to spend much time on this other than just to mention it because of it's worthy of condemnation. That commercial by this organization, he gets us, referring he being Jesus, is blasphemous. It's straight out of hell. It is of the devil. It is not about Jesus getting you. Jesus is almighty God. He gets everything. He knows everything. There's nothing that escapes his judgment or his eye or his discernment. There's nothing outside of his wisdom. There's nothing outside of his power. He can calm the storm. He can walk on water. He can raise the dead. He can heal the blind. Of course he gets you. And I'm not angry with you. But I am angry at the lie that that commercial teaches. And the place that it will send people if they buy that philosophy as hell. The whole commercial premise is that it doesn't matter if you're a homosexual, it doesn't matter what you are, it doesn't matter who you are, he gets you. He just understands. He didn't come and die on the cross, he didn't come and suffer the ridicule and the shame and the agony of sin and the hatred of men. He gets it. Brothers and sisters, 
That's the world and the world's religion. And we must reject it. We must turn our backs on it. We must mock it for what it is. That's a lie. It is devilish. And then we must turn around in the same breath and say, unless you get Jesus, you will all likewise perish. Unless you confess your sins of homosexuality, unless you confess your sins of lesbianism, unless you confess your sins of being a thief, an immoral, heterosexual, a robber, a villain, a, a, a hater, a violent person, unless you confess your sins of greed, lusts, Beloved, you will perish. You will perish unless you turn to Christ. And the Christ that I'm talking about and the Christ that Paul preached is the Christ we confessed this morning who is both fully God and fully man who came with an impeccable person. He was sinless and remained sinless all on this earth. And yet, our sins were laid on him. Philippians chapter two, verse eight, and he humbled himself, talking about Jesus, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Second Corinthians Chapter 8, verse 9, Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for our sake, he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. So beloved, when Paul, when Paul acts in humility, this ministry, he's just following the same pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? And he goes on. I mean, there are so many other verses we can certainly cite here, beloved. And, and I, we'll stop here this morning. But next week, I want to do, I want to cover the character of a minister. The character that Paul carried himself with. Certainly one in humility, but just certainly, certainly understanding what does the Bible mean by a ministry that has subjected itself to God and its power. A ministry of trust. You see, beloved, because we, we're, we're tempted, right? We're tempted to go, what, what can we do? What, what's, a, what, what's your definition of a successful ministry? What's your definition of a successful minister? Do you find it right here in Scripture? Do you find it right here in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5 and following? You see, we need to talk about these things, don't we? We need to have the conversation. We need to let the Scriptures speak and then submit ourselves to them. And in so doing, what are we exhibiting? We're exhibiting our trust in God. That this is the way it is. This is what he wants. This is what he desires. I was going to save this comment for this afternoon, but let me use it now. Because we're talking about God's providence. All things happening because God is the sovereign manager of this world and affairs of men. Well, let's just say, beloved, that it is pleasing to God that churches like ours struggle and pass away over the next decade or two. Along with thousands of other ones. All of us would lament that. We would we would, it would hurt us, grieve us to know this. But yet, on the other side of that grief, we have to trust in the Lord. And could it be, beloved, that as God allows the chaos of this world to reach its full height, 
He does so by removing the light. And he gives the world over to its own paganism, to its own atheism, to its own debauchery. And let them suffer their own ignorance and their own hatred and their own violence. God is in charge. God is in control. And he does as he pleases. Who can charge God with sin? We cannot. So beloved, when God sends his apostles, when he sends his ministers into a society, into a community, into a people, he empowers the true preaching of the gospel. And if they do repent of their sins and they do put their faith and trust in God, it is due to the preaching of the gospel, not the minister. Not the cleverness of the minister. And I want us to talk a lot about application. I want to talk a lot about the means of evangelism next week. Because I don't want us to fall into these traps of if we really love the lost, we will do these things. The problem with, we have to make sure these things do not contradict the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we have examined your word this morning, we are humbled, Lord. We are reminded of your, the importance of your power, the necessity of your power, Lord. And we know that there is no one birthed into the kingdom of God by fancy statements of men or by clever sermons preached. It's by the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so, Father, I pray that you, in reminding us here this morning of these things, Lord, we would be faithful to heed this teaching to follow it, to trust, Lord, you to do your will, to perform your salvation, Lord, in this place, to not only continue to save us, but, Lord, even those in our community. Lord, I pray where we have a chance to tell others about Christ, we would not water it down. We would not fall into the tricks of this world and grapple with and use these blasphemous commercials or these shows that are on TV about Christ, but that we would use the word of God. We would use the word that you have inspired, the word that you have given to us to use, that we would, Lord, trust it, Lord, that we would lean not into our own understanding, but in all of our ways, trust in you. And then you would secure and make our path straight. And Father, we do love you. And we want a faithful ministry, Lord. We want, I want to be a faithful minister, and we want to have a faithful ministry here. And we know that to accomplish that, we have to submit to your word. And we pray that we will, Lord, by your grace and mercy, do so. In Jesus' name, amen.